Rob, I am just one of the guys. My son, when he was three years old, I had this genius idea. And here was the genius idea when he was three. I thought, these women, these fathers who bring their son to the barbershop and drop like 10 bucks a pop for a quick little boy haircut, they're nuts. I could do this for free. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. I just saw this infomercial that says, if you buy this kit and watch the DVD, you can cut a little boy's hair and it'll look great. So I told my husband, I am going to go do this, and this is going to be a fabulous experience. So I go out, I buy the package, and I watch the DVD, and I tell my three-year-old, okay, sit still. I put the little clips on. They're numbered. I don't know why. There's like one, two, three. Apparently, that's really important. And um, so I start cutting, buzzing her hair. A clip falls off, and I just keep going, and I'm like, ah. And he jumps and flinches, and he begins holding his ear, fussing about. And I say, Josh. Stop wiggling, mommy's almost done. And I get around the other side and I notice his hair's a little crooked. <clears throat> and, and I notice he's getting real protective to the other ear. And I said, I'm not going to bump your ear, buddy. But I do. And as I bump the other ear and he flinches, he goes, mama, I'm bleeding. And I look over and he's bleeding down his neck. And now the second ear is now bleeding. <clears throat> so this three-year-old is scared to death because his mother, who wants to do this wonderful thing, has now cut her child open. He's bleeding. He's got a crooked haircut. And I found out that those little clips were really important because what you do with uh, number three is very different than what you do with the number one. And so I then had to take my son to the barbers and have him fix it. And I just pushed him in and I said, fix it. I will never, ever again undermine anyone's training, anyone's job. When you use the phrase, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. I got this. I'm an educated person. I can do this. So to this day, whenever I say to my son, just trust me, he does this. <laughs> and he has scars on his ears. So if you want to see a kid with some weird scars, I challenge you to go upstairs. He's in Kids Quest. Just kind of look around at him, and you'll see he's got the little scars of where his mother had this genius, great idea. And so the title of my message today is Just Trust Me. But the good news is this. I'm not asking you to trust me personally. I'm asking you to trust Jesus. And it's Jesus who's the one who is saying this to you, just trust me, because he wants you to trust him this morning. And so that's the title of my message is Just Trust Me. Uh, I'm just so thankful to be here. I feel like I am looking at Rob and Terry Dickerson's heart on display because you really are their heartbeat this morning. And I consider it an awesome honor and privilege just to speak into your life this morning and to share what God has done for myself and my husband. Uh, my husband Kevin is over here. Ooh, there I am. My husband Kevin is over here, and our kids are upstairs. We have two kids, Josh and Delaney. And I am just... Your average girl. I am nothing special. Rob and I met a long time ago. I'm glad I didn't say how many years because then you would figure out how old I am. And I'm just an Irish Catholic girl from Boston who's way too proud to share that, but I will. Um, I'm wicked smart. That's right. I am a wicked smart girl who packs the cat. But I've lost a lot of my accent so that you can understand me. Praise God. When I moved to Pennsylvania, people would look at, waiting for an interpreter. They couldn't understand me when I preached, so I learned real quick. I had to drop some things. I had to unlearn some things, and that was really important. 
So I, we've lived in Pennsylvania probably about 15 years now, and I met my husband there. And uh, we married and had some kids, and we've actually had a pretty easy life. I, it, we've had a blessed life. There were a few times in our lives where we were told some disappointing news, and we would just take it before the Lord and just trust God, and God would just work it out for our best somehow. And so when we first got married, I was told I couldn't have kids. And so we just kind of took that before God, and God just worked that out. And we had two kids. You know, when the doctor said, you can't do this, Jesus said, come to me. And we did. And it, it sounds really simple, and it kind of was. There were a lot of tears shed. There were a lot of prayers prayed. But Jesus has always kind of stepped up and filled in the gaps when life kind of threw us a curveball. And so... Kevin and I, when we were um, getting into full-time ministry, I was a Bible teacher and a campus pastor for a while, and then uh, the Lord called me into full-time ministry. So I'm today serving as the young adults pastor um, at a church called Clark's Green Assembly of God. And I have the 20 to 40-year-olds, and uh, I just get to preach the gospel to them and just speak into their lives. And so life was going really good for Kevin and I, and um, until one day I turned 40. Now, I don't have a problem turning 40. So if you're about to be 40 or you turn 40 and it wasn't a big deal, it really wasn't a big deal for me. I, I wasn't like this emotional girl. I was okay with turning 40. But it's what happened a few days after I turned 40. You see, when I turned 40, um, I had to go for that special appointment that women, when they turn 40, have to go to their first mammogram. So I, I went for that first thing, and I said, all right, it's a rite of passage, and I'm going to go. And the doctors did something really unique. They kind of turned into the principal and said, um, you need to stay after class because it doesn't look good. And so I have no family history of any type of cancer, so I had no concerns. Um, I sat in the doctor's office, and he very casually and kind of coldly said, we see that this is cancer, and, and this is cancer, and, and this tiny spot here is cancer. And he said, but the good news is it's really small, and we can do like a simple procedure, and it won't be that big of a deal, and you're one of the lucky ones, that we're going to catch this early, and you're going to be one of the warriors, and don't worry, life will be great. Well, we left in shock that day, and my husband and I, we went home, and we just kind of cried. We didn't have words. Have you ever been punched in the gut by life that you want to pray, you know how to pray, but all of a sudden, life just shows up in a way that's so traumatic that you are lost for words. And I remember just weeping and worshiping God and just saying, God, you are good. God, you are good. No matter what happens in my life, you are good. No matter what, you are good, God. You've got this. And so we would cry and worship, and our kids would look at us like we had two heads, and we went home and had family movie night, and we just said, okay, we're going to trust God with this. And then within a few weeks, the doctor said, Actually, it's a little bit worse than we thought. You're not really stage one anymore. We're thinking maybe stage two. And we went, okay, we can, we can do stage two. And they said, you're going to have surgery July 6th. So of this year, I was diagnosed. I turned 40 May 14th. On May 18th, I was told I have cancer. Then within a few weeks, they said, we've got to get you in uh, right away for surgery because we think there might be more going on than we can see. So we said, okay. And we went in July 6th, and we had surgery. And they said, um, we've got a good news, bad news situation. We think we've got all the cancer, but we, we found some more cancer in your lymph nodes. It traveled. And so we had to take 10 of the four lymph nodes 
out of your armpit and arm area. And um, in doing so, one of the lymph nodes was wrapped around a muscle pretty good. We had to sever the nerve in your arm. So you're going to really struggle with movement in your arm. So I woke up from surgery thinking I'm going to get on the other side of this and maybe do some chemo and some radiation and, and just come alongside my other sister warriors that I know have gone before me through this. And I was ready to get a good fight on. But when the doctors told me they severed my nerves in my arms and I wouldn't be able to, well, do this, <laughs> as you can guess, God had something else to say. Um, so we then went home and the doctor said, we're going to send you for some more CAT scans, PET scans, anything with a scan, MRI, the whole gamut of blood work. I felt like vampires were constantly attacking me. We want your blood for this and we want your blood for that and we're going to take a picture of this and that. And so my husband and I, for the next month and a half, every day was stacked doctor's appointments, specialist. They then sent me to Philadelphia to see the top oncologist doctor because I fell into this unique category of being a really rare, rare um, type of cancer. And they didn't know what to do with me. Um, they scanned my body again, and they had then discovered what would be the most heartbreaking and desperate news for us and that was that I had cancer all through my liver. The doctors told me that the cancer had spread from my breast to my lymph nodes to my liver. And I tried to get a number. I said, well, how many tumors are, are in my liver? I'm a grown woman. I can handle this. And they wouldn't answer me. And I was getting a little frustrated. And so finally, the doctor in frustration looked at me, and he said, you have more cancer than you have liver at this point. So here's what you need to do, Mrs. Jane. You need to start eating a lot of food. I was like, why should I do that? He said, because your liver is going to start shutting down and it's going to stop functioning. You're going to lose your appetite. You're going to lose a lot of weight. Your skin is going to start to turn a jaundice yellow. The whites of your eyes are going to turn yellow. And um, it's stage four cancer. And you have two years to live at best. Wow, did that become a punch in the gut? Did our lives change? So we went home and we began to pray. We began to worship the same God that we worshiped the day that we were told, no big deal, piece of cake. And so we went home and we started to worship. And we went to the specialist and the next specialist. And then the person who wrote the journal of what to do when you have this type of cancer. You see, my problem was that it was a little tiny cancer, but it was super aggressive and it traveled really quick. And so when we went to the top doctor, her eyes began to tear up. She began to weep, and she had asked me, how long have you been drinking alcohol? And she kind of cringed asking me, knowing that I'm a pastor, assuming that I probably wasn't an alcoholic. And I looked at her, and I said, I don't drink at all. And I said, actually, the irony is I'm the product of two alcoholic, drug-addicted parents, and I drew a line in the sand a long time ago when I accepted Jesus when I, be, when I was 14 years old that it was going to stop right here, right now, that that curse of sin and death that was on my family was going to be broken. And so in that time frame, I was distraught that the sins of the Father were kind of showing up on me. And that changed the game because I went from feeling like life was coming at me to we're going to come at life. And we're going to start taking some godly biblical authority and start to take God at his word. 
I want to show you another desperate person in the Bible. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. Because there's a guy who can identify with me who is just as desperate. And I'm going to bring the verses up here. So if you don't have your Bible, don't sweat it. It's going to pop up here. There's a guy who was just as desperate as my husband and I were when we kept getting negative report, negative report. There, there's this guy, his name's Jairus. And his daughter's really sick. So he goes and he finds Jesus. And he says to Jesus, you've got to come quickly. Our daughter is really sick. You've got to come. And so Jesus is on his way to go to meet Jairus' daughter. He's on his way there. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Here's a little side pocket here for you, a little footnote. Jesus is on his way to do a healing, but he gets tripped up on the trip because he stops to do a healing. So on his way to be awesome, he decides to stop for a few minutes and put on awesome. And this is the story where Jesus meets, he's walking in the crowd, and there's a woman with an issue of blood. And doctors can't cure her. Life has been really hard on this woman. She's been dealt just a, a bad hand, as people would say. And in a moment of desperation and brokenness, she reaches out just to touch Jesus. She's got that kind of desperate faith that says, if I can just touch him, I know he's going to heal my body. And so she touches him. Jesus heals her. And this is this great healing, miraculous moment. While this is going on, now the healing just ends. Messengers come from Jairus' house to Jairus, and they say to Jairus that um, it, it doesn't look good. Your daughter died. It's too late. Don't have the master come and pray for your daughter. She's gone. Jesus is overhearing this horrific bad news to just not come. And here's what Jesus says. And this is what Jesus spoke to my heart. And this is what Jesus is saying this morning to you in your life. And this is the verse that's right on up here. Jesus overheard, and these are the messengers that say it's too late, she's dead. Jesus overheard what they were talking about. And he said to the leader, this is Jairus, don't listen to them, just trust me. Isn't that beautiful? There are experts that Jesus can say, don't listen to them, just trust me. So when the doctors gave me a death sentence of two years to live, the Lord spoke this to my heart and said, don't listen to them, just trust me. Now let me explain. Don't listen to them meant, they don't decide when my last breath happens. But if they say, go do chemo, I would go do chemo. If they said, take this medicine, I would take that medicine. So I'm not throwing common sense out the window. So hear my heart on that. Um, so after surgery, uh, we said, okay, let's start the chemo thing. And they were going to put a port in my chest, and we were going to begin chemo, and we were ready to go. And the doctor said, we've got some more bad news for you. You are like one of two people in like 200,000 women that have this type of cancer. You are in the tiniest minuscule portion that chemotherapy won't touch this cancer. So bad news, you can't have chemo. Most people would consider that good news because many of us know what chemotherapy does to our body. But that was really bad news for me because they said you really have nothing to stand on because you can't do chemo. Um, it wouldn't work for you, so we're not even going to offer it. You can't have a liver transplant 
because the cancer didn't start there as the primary site. They explained to me if cancer started in your liver, you could be a candidate for a liver transplant. But because it didn't start there, that's not an option. So they didn't tell me what my options really were. They just said, you can't do this and you can't do that. And then they started to tell me, get your will in order, get a power of attorney signed, and let your family know that this is really serious. Now, mind you, I've got an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old at the time. So every time they walk in the room, this mother is bursting into tears because you can't look at your babies and even imagine your life not being there for them. But God started to do something really amazing because every time I would want to think of the hopelessness, Jesus kept whispering those words, just trust me. And I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. I have more questions than I have answers at this point in my life, but I'm going to trust you because you said you're in control and you're going to be able to handle this. Now I want to share with you why we can trust Jesus. And this is what is just so great. We can trust Jesus because of a couple of things. Number one is that healing is provided in the atonement. When Jesus went on the cross to die for our sins and take away my sins and your sins, Jesus said, I'm going to do you one more better. Not only am I going to take away your sins, give you salvation and eternal life, but I can also heal your brokenness. I can heal your broken body. I can heal your broken spirit. I can go to the deepest wound that is hidden from everyone else, and I can bring healing and hope into that. So we can hope in Jesus because we've got this healing provided for us in the atonement. That is huge. So I'm kind of like a little kid. I'm a practical, down-to-earth kind of girl. If you say I can have something and I want it, I'm not going to be like a good girl with manners and say, are you sure? I don't want to inconvenience you. If you put a cupcake on this table and tell me I can have it, I turn into the eight-year-old version of myself, and I say, oh, I can, great, and I will scoop it off the table and be devouring halfway through it before I think of, oh, a lady says, oh, are you sure? And I would put down a half-eaten cupcake and say, are you sure I can have it? Because my gut instinct says, if you say I can have it, girl got a sweet tooth, I'm having it. And see, Jesus wants you and I to have that same eight-year-old version of yourself. You know, when someone tries to offer your children money and your kids are like, yes, and they go to snatch it. And as good parents, we tell our kids, no, 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 no. She doesn't need that money. No, no, grandma. You don't have to pay them for bringing in the garbage cans. They don't need that. I always have to catch my father-in-law, who is 84, who wants to pay our kids just for existing. And I'm like, stop it. They don't need to be paid to exist because we're not paying them at home. At home, no one's getting paid. They're cleaning their room. They're doing their chores. And they live in this house. They're doing their chores. But grandma and grandpa live right next door. So they know we walk 30 feet and we cross the, the property line and sugar grandma and sugar grandpa live over there. We're getting hooked up. And so our kids have just got it figured. When it snows, they don't think, let's make a snowman. Our kids are like, get the shovel. Where's Grandpa? And, and, and they shovel this little pathetic thing, and Grandpa's waving around the money. And part of me feels like I need to stop 
discouraging that in my kids because there's kind of a spiritual thing happening in that if I open my eyes wide enough. If Grandpa could not do it all the time, that would be really cool. But if Grandpa did it once in a while, it would be so great that when somebody says, here, do you want this? That we unapologetically, confidently, not arrogantly, but with the confidence of Christ, say, well, if you say I can have it, then you know what? I'm going to take it. And not only am I going to take it, but I'm going to enjoy it. And I mean that cupcake, I'm like moaning. I'm like in heaven. The house is clean. The kids are great. Like, no, no, no. I'm eating that cupcake. In that moment, when Jesus says, you and I can have something, let's stop telling him, if you really want me to have it, I'll have it. Because he's saying, take it. I want to heal you of the hurts of your childhood. I want that for you. That doesn't mean that the so-and-sos next to you, to the left and the right, and the special people who grew up a special way, they get all my benefits, but you don't. Doesn't the enemy tell us that? The enemy whispers into our lives and says that, take Jesus at his word. All of these amazing benefits we have are for everybody except you. They're not for you. They're for that other lady, and they're for that other guy. Because they didn't do that thing that you did a few years ago, and you don't want me to talk about that now, do you? That's what the enemy does. But Jesus says that the benefit of healing is ours. That's all we have to do is turn into our eight-year-old selves and take it. So picture Grandpa offering you money. Picture the cupcake. That would be great if we released Kids Quest and we put cupcakes on the table. And I said, children, come have a cupcake. How many of your kids would go to you and say, Mother, Father, may I have a cupcake? And how many of your kids would just beeline it to the table, inhale the cupcakes, frosting everywhere, going, oh, is it okay if I have one? Because that would be my kid. Both my kids would ask after the fact because the lady up front said they could, and they're taking it. That's why Jesus says we need to come to him with a childlike faith because it's that childlike faith that says, If you tell me I can trust you and I can have this good thing, and I'm taking it. And so we need to start taking the things that Jesus already says we can have and stop pleading for these things. He says we can have them. Luke 4.18 says this. I'm going to read this to you in the NIV. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Now, this is Luke 4.18, but the, the really cool part about this, if this sounds like another familiar verse, is this is Jesus in church pulling out the scroll, and he's actually reading Isaiah 53.4. And after he reads it, Jesus says, I am he who fulfills this. He says, I'm the fulfillment of this verse. So because of What I'm going to do, the blind are going to have sight. The oppressed are going to be free. Today's the day. This thing that we've read a bajillion times, today's the fulfillment, and I'm it. I'm your hope. I'm your healing. How cool is that? Jesus read it, and because he did fulfill it on the cross, you and I can claim these things that he's promised us. I love the whole buy one, get one. So not only can you cover my sins, secure a place in eternity for me, but you can also give me abundant life today in the now. 
I don't have to wait. You can give me healing and hope and joy in this world. That's pretty awesome. That's the buy one, get one. Um, and there's nothing else that needs to be done. There's nothing special. God is just amazing like that. The second reason why we can trust Jesus is because healing is a gift of God's grace to all people. All of us get access to this special gift. It's not just because, well, I'm a pastor and God better heal me because, you know, I'm doing his business. He, he better. I mean, he's obligated, right? No. What I love is when God heals somebody who says, I don't even go to church. You know, you don't have to go to church to get healed. You don't even have to be a Christian to experience healing. How about that for rocking your theology? Have you ever noticed or experienced someone in your life or you've heard a great story of somebody got healed of something and you're like, they got healed? Do you know what they've done? Do you know where they've been? Our God loves us so much that he's going to heal who he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't need my permission to heal somebody. And he doesn't need your permission to heal somebody. Uh, I'll never forget hearing the story once of a man who was drunk with a broken leg. And this Christian full of life said, well, let's just pray and ask God to heal your leg. And they prayed. His leg got healed. And he said, well, God shouldn't have healed it because I'm kind of a little drunk. <laughs> I love when people are drunk and they say, I'm kind of a little drunk. Like, that's interesting. And so he said, well, let's pray that God helps sober your mind and your heart. And he prayed for the man. And then two days later, the man said, well, if this Jesus who can heal my leg and sober me up, and I didn't even love or know him, if he can do all that, then I want to fully surrender my life to him and give him my whole life because he cared about me when most of my family wouldn't give me a second glance. That's the Jesus we serve. He uses healing to get us closer to his heart. So healing is a part of today's ministry. It's not just something that happened yesterday. It's not just something that happened to your Aunt Meg in the 1920s. It's for today. It's for now. It's for when your baby's got a fever at 3 a.m. and you are scared and desperate for that fever to come down. It's when your mom has a negative report. It's when you have a headache and it's just inconvenient. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And if you don't believe me, ask the little kids in church. If they take prayer requests, my daughter will say, I've got this boo-boo. It's maybe over. Oh, it moved. It's here. Can we pray for this? And the poor group leading them might be tempted to roll their eyes. But you see, we've taught our kids that if it matters to you, it matters to him. As adults, we tend to forget that. As adults, we start to think, well... Pray for so-and-so because cancer is a big need, but don't pray that I get that job because, you know, that's really, in the scheme of life, not a big deal. If it matters to you, it matters to him. If restoring a relationship with a broken uh, family member matters to you, it matters to him. If it's heavy on you, it's heavy on him. He loves you. He loves your heart. And, and I love that that's the Jesus that we serve. So healing is a gift of God's grace to all of us. And here's the New Testament church. Here's you and I. Here's what Pastor Paul would be saying to us today, you know, if he was preaching from the New Testament. He says, okay, here, I got this for you. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? 
Call the church leaders together and pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. It's believing prayer that will heal you. And Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, don't sweat it. You'll be forgiven. You'll be healed from the inside out. What a confident word this is. This isn't saying, oh, you wretched, horrible creature. Crawl out back into that hole you came out of. You know, this is Jesus saying, look, you know, this is, this is your pastor Rob and your pastor Jamie's getting up saying, look, it's real simple. If you've got a need, we're going to pray. That's it. If you've got joy, then I want to hear you shout and worship. If there's something, gee, I love how practical Jesus is. It's like, if this is this, then here's the answer. This is the problem. Here's the solution. This was to the first century church, and this is for the church today. That today, we can kind of plug the little pegs of the needs of our lives by what we need. So we've got instruction. And I love that we can be healed from the inside out because sometimes we've got a physical problem but God wants to go a little bit deeper and really heal an angry heart a wounded spirit something else within us and it could be something from your marriage your childhood at work because Jesus loves us so much he doesn't just take care of the band-aid solution he like the surgeon wants to cut the thing that's eating at you he wants to cut it completely out and set you free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so if you're going to be in Christ, he wants you to have full freedom, abundant life. He wants you to be completely made whole and made well. And so now, here's the thing that I used to hate, and maybe you're like me. When I was a young Christian and people would say, well, if you need healing, just have faith and you'll have it. Well, I'm a step kind of girl. I really need you to dumb it down a little bit. Don't just tell me to have faith. I need to know... How do I get faith? You know, because we can just drop flowery terms out there, but I need to know, how do you get faith? And here's a little flow chart that I put up here that might help you kind of break it down the way God broke it down in my life. So the first way that we get faith for healing is God's word. And that's what we've been talking about. And we'll start at the bottom. The word of God is what's going to feed your faith. So we just read in the word of God that Jesus said, I can have healing, so I'm taking it. That's good stuff. That by his stripes, I am healed. That's great stuff. All right, my faith is building. He's offering it. I can take it. I'm getting a little bit of faith, but I don't know if I have enough faith to be healed. Maybe you're just super spiritual. You're just far more spiritual than I am. So that when I say have faith, you're like, okay, I got faith in your heel. Good for you. I hate these guys. Okay, That's not me. I'm not that person. I need it to be broken down for me. And so when I'm looking at this up here, I'm wondering, how do I get faith? And God began to drop in my heart what he did through this whole cancer thing. He began to give me what I refer to as life in the spirit. See, life in the spirit is going to build your faith. And so life in the spirit is a beautiful thing. So then when you've got life in the spirit, which is creating an inner renewal When you're creating that inner renewal, your faith is growing and stretching. Then you've got the faith, and then you can believe for the healing, and then you get your healing. Now, many of us get stuck at the life in the spirit. So if you want to bring up the next slide, I want to explain a little bit what life in the spirit is. Because I could say, just walk in the spirit. Well, what does that mean? 
It sounds pretty. It sounds very spiritual. But if we don't break it down, we don't know how to do it. And so here's what life in the spirit is. Life in the spirit means you and I worshiping God, trusting him. So when Jesus says, just trust me, it's you and I saying, okay, God, I trust you. I give you my life. You gave me breath. You made this body. You can heal this body. I thank you. No matter what, I know two things. Life is hard, but God is good. That's it. God is good. No matter what happens to me, if I'm here today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, life is hard. We can all agree to that. We've all got our war stories of how hard life is. But here's what scripture has taught me, that God is good. He can't not be good. It would go against his very character. And so worshiping God is a beautiful thing because as I began to worship God, I started to take refuge in his presence. Because when you worship God, this simultaneous thing happens. As you worship God, he pours peace down, kind of like warm honey all over you. Have you ever just been worshiping God and you're like, my situation hasn't changed. I still don't have a job. My knee might still hurt, but I just feel really, really relaxed and really good because I just spent some time in worship, just worshiping God. When I'm just reflecting on his goodness, he's changing me. His goodness is changing me. And so worship is really important. The second one is prayer life. If I'm going to have life in the spirit, i got to talk to God. I mean, i got to really have some time in prayer. I've got to connect the dots and start praying and start doing some good prayer time. And start talking about to Jesus about my disappointment and, and start seeking his face. Number three is what you're doing today. Today, you are actually building your life in the spirit. You're building your faith because you've come to hear a sermon. You've come to hear scripture. You, you've heard a message and you're hearing a message that is building your life in the spirit. You're taking your eyes off of the hard life and you're putting them on the goodness of God. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Your speech is another thing. When you're walking in life in the spirit, you've got to start talking like a man and a woman of God. You've got to start talking what you believe. So if you say, Jesus says I can have healing, but he probably won't heal me. You know, you're Debbie Downer. And maybe some of you are wired to be like Debbie Downers. Some people just naturally are, and they've got to break that. It takes discipline. Other people are just happy-go-lucky, Pollyanna positive, you can't break them even if they tried. My daughter's like that. You tell her she's punished and go to your room, that's fine. I probably should clean it anyways. I mean, you can't punish this kid. It's almost impossible. She finds the silver lining in everything. It's kind of annoying. Um, you know, and then my son, you say we can't go out for pizza. Why does life fall apart on me? I mean, the world crumbles. Our speech is really important because what you say is a reflection of what you're thinking and what's in your heart. And so if we're going to have life in the spirit, we've really got to watch our speech. If God is good, then we've got to talk like he is. We've got to speak life to one another. We've got to encourage each other. Uh, number six is our influences. If you're going to have life in the spirit, you can't be hanging out with some people in your life. And I don't even have to tell you who they are because as I said that, some faces and some names popped up of, I can't hang with so-and-so. He's really funny, but he's not good for me. You all have that person that's really funny, but, yeah, they're not so good for you. Whoever that person is, you've got to watch 
your in, their influence in your life. I'm not saying that you bail on them because they need your good influence. But influences in our life is really important. So who your inner circle is is really important. You know, we tell all of our kids growing up, you become who your friends are. Well, as adults, that's the same thing. So your influence is really important in your life. So I'm going to surround myself. I do this on purpose. I surround myself with really smart people just hoping that the trickle down will somehow catch on me. And I won't be such a, a simple, outspoken girl who's usually apologizing of, oh, I should have used my filter. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, and, and so it's important that we really watch our, our influence and who's, who's allowed to speak into your life. And that might be a good question for you to take home and pray about today is, who's allowed to speak into your life? Who's your influence? If it was my doctors, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm glad that even though they got to speak, I didn't let them speak in my inner circle. I, I heard it. I was respectful. I said, okay. And I took what they said, and I brought it to Jesus, and I laid it at his feet, and I let his voice be the inner circle of my influence. That's really important. And if I had a bunch of teenagers in here, I would say, that's why your parents are the boss of who gets to be your friend and not you, because they're smarter. They can look around the corner. They know who little Susie is going to be, and they don't want you to be little Susie. And if your name's Susie, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> I better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and as you're, as you're thinking of life group, choose wisely who you sit next to. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> oh, and so another thing of life in the spirit is agreements. You and I come into agreement all the time. We don't realize it. See, we can come into agreement with what God says, what our godly friends say. We can come into agreement with what negative doctors say. We can come into agreement with what Satan says. If you say, well, I don't come into agreement with anyone. Oh, yeah? Let me prove it to you. Have you ever said to your spouse, hopefully in your head and not out loud, because if you say it out loud, World War III, um, I've said this out loud. I've experienced World War III. Um, have you ever said to your spouse, you'll never change. It's always going to be this way. We're always going to be this. She's always going to do that. It's never going to change. When we use those fatalistic statements of always, never, we're agreeing with the enemy of our soul that our God isn't big enough to change our situation, our finances, our marriage, our relationships, and we think we're just in a bad mood, but we're coming into agreement with things that we don't agree on. I would prefer that my husband would change a few things in his life. So why would I say to him, you're never going to change? It's always going to be this way. And that usually happens like the day or two after you come back from vacation. And you know, on vacation, everything is like a honeymoon again. And then you get home and it's well, where's the bag? Well, I thought you had it. I thought you had it. Oh, you left the bag. Oh, vacation's over. And you get in kind of that rut. You know, those are the agreements that we've got to really guard our hearts from and be really careful that we say, you know what? I'm going to watch what I say, not because I have the almighty power to speak things into existence. Only God has the power to do that. You and I do not, just so you know. But when I start aligning my heart, and letting it calibrate and come into alignment with what God says, it is amazing. When we start agreeing with what God says, things change. So when I start praying for my husband to change those goofy little things, not simple things, just, you know, 
he sips out of the cup on the right side and I prefer the left. I don't know. Those goofy things that make us us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I should just give him a straw, right? Um, those goofy things that make us us, when we release people and we come into agreement with what God says, it is amazing how God changes things. So the people that we say they'll never, God does something. Yesterday, I have experienced a moment. See, I've been a Christian for 25 years. Yeah, February 20th will be 25 years. 1987, many of you did not exist then, I see, as I see some youngins. Um, but for those of us that did, I was a 14-year-old girl who got saved, and I came from a big Irish Catholic family, and my sisters were known as the naughty girls at school. They were the party girls. Mothers did not want their sons to date my sisters because they were naughty. And you can use your imagination. Yes, those girls. And so I got saved, and I wasn't one of those girls. I was a good girl. But no one wanted even their good Christian boys to come near me because it came with the tagline of, she comes from the naughty girl family. And you know the apple doesn't fall far. And so I began praying for my sisters and praying and praying. And I would get so discouraged, and I thought, they're never going to get saved. They're never going to come to the Lord. And I would stop praying. Have you ever stopped praying for somebody because it was just so hard? The more you prayed for them, the more your heart broke because you saw just how lost and desperate they were. So I went a season of just not praying for my family to get saved, not my mom, not my dad, not my sisters, because it was just too hard. It reminded me of the isolation I was feeling in my life of not having a Christian family. And so... The Lord began to convict me on that a few years back of get praying for your sisters again because if you're going to take me at my word, I can, I can reach your sisters. So I began praying. My sister, um, my one sister Susan has been a raging alcoholic and I had to have the horrible opportunity to call children and youth on her to remove her child because of neglect. I warned her, if you don't step it up, or give me this child. I'm going to make the worst phone call of my life. And I had to do it. Snotty tears, ugly crying, didn't want to do it, broke my heart. And after that moment, her heart got even harder. That wasn't her bottom. And she said, I will never speak to you again. Never. That was two years ago. Never will speak to me again. Wouldn't give me your phone number, wouldn't speak to me. When I would go to Massachusetts to see my family, she wouldn't come over. It was just really sad and broken. And I said, God, did I do the right thing? Because I feel like I did the right thing, and I'm getting rewarded with a punch in the face. Two days ago, she called me. Almost wet my pants. Not even going to lie to you. Wasn't expecting it. I was not expecting it. My sister calls me, and she says to me, Laura, you're not going to believe what happened. Uh, um, I, I went to bed, and God woke me up in the middle of the night, and he told me I have to go to church. And I said, okay, God, I I'll go to church. And she said, but he wouldn't leave me alone. So then I got out of bed and I was pacing in my house because I had all this energy from God just waking me up, telling me I had to go to church. So I, I want to go to this church up the street for me and I can't wait till it's Sunday. And she's like, I'm so excited for Sunday. I want to go to church and, and I'm going to give God my life and, and I'm going to do what, what I need to do because I'm tired of running with the guys that I'm running and I'm tired of being depressed. And she then began to get some real honest conversation. And she said, I've been in this depression for 10 years. That's why I've been numbing myself with the alcohol. She said, do you realize every day I would walk my daughter to the bus stop and I would go home and I would drink till I blacked out because I just didn't want to deal with life. And her daughter's uh, father was in prison, 
and she couldn't deal with all of the choices that she had made and then all of the low blows she felt life had given her. And she said, God showed up in such a way that I knew that he really loves me. So I'm going to church. Well, I am beside myself. I said, oh, praise God. I tell my husband, God is doing something amazing. I get excited. Yesterday, I'm out with Rob and Terry Dickerson. And as we're driving to go somewhere, I get a phone call from my mom. She says, you're not going to believe this. Your other sister, who is uh, in a lot of trouble and doing a lot of bad, shady things with a lot of gangbangers and just getting herself in trouble, she was woken up last night in the middle of the night, and God told her she needs to get her two little boys to church, and it scared her so much that she didn't want to call me because I'm the Christian, and she didn't want to call our mom because our mom's now a Christian. She knew we would say, woohoo, go to church. So Mary thought, I'll call Susie, my other knuckleheaded sister, and Susie will comfort me and say, you just had like a bean burrito at midnight, it wasn't God, just go back to bed, quit watching stupid movies. And so she calls Susan thinking that she's going to be released from this thing that God is asking her to do, and and you know how it's going to end. Susie says to her, God did the same thing to me, we're taking our kids to church We're going to church. So this morning, while I'm with you in New York, God did a miracle without me. And it was just circling these knuckleheads in prayer for years and years that they're in church this morning because God arrested their heart and said, I love you. Enough is enough. Come to me. And so I am thrilled that the same God that's doing miracles in my body and healings in my body is doing these amazing things in the lives of my sisters. And so the flow chart, if we could go to the next slide, I think it's slide eight, that flow chart that we're looking at, there's one thing in common with all of these things, and that is Jesus. All of it is Jesus. The word of God, Jesus, because he is the word. Life in the spirit, you can't have it without Jesus. You have to be in Jesus to have the life in the spirit. Faith, I don't care how positive you are, faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God, and walking in the spirit. And so hopefully you're, you're catching kind of my little flow chart here of how God wants to build your faith. Because some of you say, well, I just, I just can't believe like you. I, you know. And I was one of those people. When they would say, come on up for healing and pray, I'd say, all right, God, I dare you. You know, I put no faith in him. I would just go up and say, okay. But when God started to speak to my heart in that verse in James 5 that says, the believing prayer changes things. I started to recognize that I need to start believing God and taking him at his word. And I began to do that. So let's look back at at our buddy Jairus here for a moment. Mark 5, verse 40. We're going to bring that up for you. Mark 5, verse 40, and and I love the way this is spoken. Now, Jesus gets to the house, right? And the little girl is dead. And Jesus says to them, what room is the little girl in? And the crowd laughs at Jesus, and they say, it doesn't matter. She's dead. They're they're now, like, laughing and making fun of Jesus because they're like, dude, it's too late. You missed it. And maybe even someone's even given him the look of, like, well, if you were here an hour ago, this would have been better. If you were here two days ago. You know that look you get when you're late for dinner and your mom's made this really nice dinner and she gives the scowl of this meal was great an hour ago? Maybe someone was giving Jesus that hairy eye. I I don't know. But it says that the crowd laughed at him. So these are not faith-believing people. 
These are people who are just like you and I thinking this is impossible. And here's what Jesus did. Everybody who wasn't faith believing, he said, can you leave the room? Because we're going to go over here and and we're going to take some faith and we're going to go do something great. And so the Bible says that he made them all leave and he took the girl's father, mother, and his three disciples in the room. Notice he didn't even take all 12 disciples. He took three disciples and the parents. And, of course, Jesus took the parents because who's going to be the most desperate for a breakthrough than a mom and dad, right? Those of us that are parents, when our kids get sick, they go to the doctors. It doesn't matter what the boss needs you to do at work. You're at your kid's side, you know. And so mom and dad are in the room with Jesus, and it would be so great if we could look through like a, a time machine to see how it actually went down. How cool would that really be? And so the crowd laughed, but the desperate, faith-fueled people, they said, we're we're going in there with Jesus. They're not just going in there with their own confidence. You know, we didn't deal with arrogant Peter who thought, I'm going to do something great. Although Peter was invited. Praise God, there's room for us Peters. I happen to be one. Um, James was in the room. They went in. You know why? Because Jesus was at the front of the line. Jesus went in the room. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it changes everything. When Jesus walks into your situation, you can have this holy boldness, this confidence, not this arrogance, not denial. I I loved when the doctors would look at me like, oh, sweet, simple girl with some church faith. Aren't you cute? Oh, you're cute. Just she's in denial. Because they would say, how are you doing? And I'd say, oh, I'm great. This is my husband, Kevin, and we're fine. And they would say, okay, well, here's another negative report. So we would say, okay, thank you. We would go home and go, okay, let's breathe. Tomorrow's another doctor's appointment. And we would come in, and they'd say, how are you? And we'd say, we're great. We're trusting Jesus. And they would say, okay, well, here's what today's numbers say, and it's worse. We had several negative, it got worse, it got worse reports. And we still said, okay, we're going to go home, lick our wounds a little bit, get back to Jesus, and just trust him. Because that's all he told us was to trust him and to worship. And we began to use worship as a weapon. I mean, that was my weapon to beat up the enemy. I was cranking the hill song. I was cranking everything I could. My house became church. I didn't want to go to church because I felt like I was leaving church. That's how much church we had at our house. I mean, it was so much church. And I love church, and you need to come to church. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that sounded bad. But I wanted you to get my exaggeration that we had so much worship going on that it felt like church, but it wasn't. And so here's what Jesus does. He brings these parents and he brings these people into the room. And, um, oh, let me finish reading the verse. Sorry. It says that he took the little girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the little girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talithia kum which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was around 12 years old, immediately stood up, walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. I love, like, later on the next verse says, and then Jesus says, like, why don't you guys give her something to eat? Like, I love how practical Jesus is. He does this supernatural, amazing thing, and then he's like, can we get a pizza? Because she's kind of been, like, down for a while. Jesus is supernatural and practical at the same time. Isn't that good? I love that he's both of those things. He can be so amazing. Now, 
I read this, and the Spirit of God just jumped up inside of me. To Lethia Kum, Jesus was speaking that to me. Because when I was getting these negative reports and, and being, you know, breast cancer and the delicate nature of it, I found myself starting to shrink back as a grown woman. I found myself starting to shrink back as a scared little girl. And I read this verse, and Jesus says, Talithia Kum, little girl, get up. Oh, I can't tell you the boldness that just rose up within me because the same Jesus that said to me, little girl, get up, He's saying that to you women today that still feel like that scared 12-year-old girl or maybe feel like you can't be who you are because you just are, you find yourself shrinking back. And, men, this is for you too. If you find yourself shrinking back from being who God wants you to be, he is also saying, little boy, get up. Rise up, O great man of valor. He's calling us out into greatness. Jesus is saying, get up because I've got something for you. And so I've told my husband, now I don't have any tattoos. I've never had a desire to have a tattoo. If you do, no judgment. That's cool. You've probably got a really cool story. Okay? I'm just wanting you to know who I am. Um, I looked at my husband. I said, I think I might want to get a tattoo that says Talithia Kum because this is so cool. At any part in my life, I'd like to look down at, like, I don't know, my foot or somewhere, or somewhere discreet, and it says Talithia Kum. So when I think I'm going to cower, and get on the sidelines of life, I want to be reminded that Jesus says, no, 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 girl, I'm calling you out. You're going to live authentic life, full of joy. Don't let it pass you by. This is your moment. And, and that same Jesus is speaking that to you and I. My husband's now praying, don't get the tattoo. You don't need the tattoo. Just preach it. Lord, just so you know what's going on in his head. Come on, you're 40. Don't be one of those people that has to do something crazy when they turn 40. But see, but see, here's the thing, though. I might do something crazy because when you walk through the valley of shadow of death, which we've walked through, on the other side of that is this faith like you've never had before. It, it, it's almost like an adrenaline shot where I'm like, let's go skydiving. I want to join an all-you-can-eat hot dog contest. Like, I'm now resorting to, like, my dumb college self that's like, yeah, we probably won't get hurt. Let's do that thing. So thank God my husband is now the official grown-up of the marriage, and he will say, though you think you're 20, you're 40. And I'm reminded that I'm 40 when I get around a bunch of 20-year-olds. So don't worry. The reality check, it, it kicks in here. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to be that little girl that gets up. Now God began to do something really amazing. We go to the doctors, negative report. Doctors, negative report. We're like, okay, God, what are you doing? All of a sudden, something strange started to happen. We went to the doctors, and the doctor said, wait a minute. I don't understand this. And they're holding up, like, pictures, and they're looking in the file. And they said, okay, you know, I don't understand this, but here's the thing. At this point, your liver should not be functioning at all, but it is. They said, do you have any pain? I said, no. Honestly, I didn't even know where my liver was. I'm on a need-to-know basis I really didn't know where it was. Did you know it's like crazy huge? I did not know how huge a liver is till this happened. The doctors say, excuse me, we have to push on your liver. I hope it doesn't hurt. They start pushing on my liver. I'm like, don't feel anything. No pain at all. They said, all right, this is weird. Your eyes are like the most crisp white. I never got so many compliments on, wow, you have really pretty blue eyes. Because everybody's looking for the yellow. You know, they're not looking at my blue eyes. And, and I said, I feel fine. They said, how about your appetite? And to prove them wrong, and this was great, they said, remember I told you they said, eat as much as you can, you're going to lose lots of weight. 
Well, I gained like 17 pounds. Let me stand back here now. I gained like 17 pounds. And then I said to the doctor, can I stop proving you people wrong now? Because nothing is fitting. Everything is tight. I don't have money to get new clothes. And they were like, uh, yeah. Then they did blood work. And they said, we don't understand. Your liver enzymes, the numbers are perfectly normal. They shouldn't be. And I'm like, I don't know, you're the expert, you know. I, I just know this word of God thing and this trusting Jesus. And the whole time I'm sharing what God is doing, and we're getting really excited. And someone had prophetic words for us that the doctors were going to be baffled. Or we're like, when's this baffling going to come? Because every time we go to the doctors, it's like, hey, guess what? It's worse. Hey, yeah, kiss your kids goodbye, sign the paper, and, you know, wrap up life, put a bow on it, and you had a good run, and let's make these two years count. Well, then... Doctors start getting baffled. They say, okay, we're going to send you for another CAT scan. Before I get that, and we're Pentecostal people, we sometimes understand that God can use prophetic gifts and give people words. Well, I had a word spoken over me that God was healing half my liver, that my healing was going to be progressive. It was going to be a slow, progressive healing. And I went, okay, well, you're the God who could do it like that. So why are you kind of spreading it out? And I sought the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, it's going to be a slow, progressive healing because there are many people watching your life. They are on the fringe of trusting me. And in your journey, they're going to come closer to me because they're going to watch how you handle this whole thing. And I went, oh, well, I better get my ducks in a row, and I better really be a woman of faith and keep my spirit up. And that's what God had, uh, had done. We went to the doctors. We had the CT scan. And I called the doctor because I'm not patient at all. And I said, how's it look, doc? How's it going? And he's like, you know, your appointment's not till you know, three days from now. You can't wait three days? No, I can't wait three days. No, exactly. You know what you're dealing with. And he says, well, not much has changed. I've got the written report here. Oh, he didn't see the written report. He says, I'm looking at it. Not much has changed. Um, maybe we can try something. I, I don't know. But I'll see you in three days, Laurie. Just, you know, go away for the weekend. And I said, but God, I, I know that word was really from you that half my liver is healed. I, I don't understand. I just was confused. But I said, I'm just going to trust Jesus. Three days later, I go to the doctor's appointment. And this is the best thing ever. The doctor walks in the room and he says, oh, Mrs. Jane, um, I owe you an apology. What I told you was the written report. And according to the written report, not much has changed. But I looked at the pictures. You're not going to believe this. Half your liver is healed. Like, it, it's just gone like stuff that was this big is now like this big and I'm like wow and he and he said and now I've got a number for you before we told you that we have too many tumors we can't count them he's like now I've got a number and I'm like great what is it he's like 15 I went oh dear lord like that's supposed to calm me down I'm like 15 now mind you of the 15 some are like the size of like my fingernail some are a little bit bigger they're all varied in size but still 15 is a scary number so I said okay god you're doing this God then spoke to my heart that I'm, I'm healing you. Now, I didn't tell you about my arm. That was the first part of uh, the healing and the miracle was that we were in a church service, and I could only lift my arm to about like, about here, Kevin, to about here. I could only lift my arm. So we're in a worship service, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to be this martyr for Jesus. I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to be in pain worshiping Jesus. So I look like a sad little penguin with my arm worshiping. No, no, I'm going to use my bad arm. And I didn't care what people thought around me, but I did it as an act of sacrifice and worship. And I know that that just pleased the Lord's heart. That instead of saying, well, I can't worship, I'm going to sit over here because I have a special need. I was like, no, 
I'm a desperate, broken woman. And Jesus loves desperate, broken people. So I'm just going to get my little penguin flipper. I'm just going to worship the Lord. I got my good one in this. So I'm just kind of leaning. And something happened where I felt the Lord touch my body. And I didn't know where. I just turned to my husband and I said, God did something. I don't know what it was. But the delicate nature of my situation, I wasn't going to do an inspection at the altar. It's kind of inappropriate. So, I mean, use your imagination. That would be the lady that you would go, you know what? We're going to take you to a back room. We're going to scorch out the building. Come here. You know, there's cupcakes in this room. Come on. Now, I would have just ran in. Oh, where's the cupcakes? And, And so I said, when we got home, I said, Kevin, I want to let, the people know that God did something. I want to give God glory. But I need to go home and have some time with Jesus first. Let's be mature adults. So I go home, and I'm like, the Lord did something, but I don't know. Like, everything kind of feels and looks the same, but I don't know. And then dummy me goes to put my pajamas on, and no one tells you how to put on pajamas when you've done it 40 years. It's just automatically like breathing. So I put the thing on, and I put the arm, and I went, oh, Kevin, get in the room. Look at this. I can do this. He's like, no pain? I'm like, no. And he's like, okay. And he was like a mean drill sergeant. He's like, now do this. Now do this. So I'm standing in our bedroom doing the whole windmill thing. And I'm like, my arm's starting to hurt because you're, you know, putting me through the ringer. Can we stop here for a moment? And we recognize that God did something amazing. That moment was amazing because the next day I was to meet with the surgeon. And I said, look what I can do. It was like the best show and tell. And the doctor very, if you know surgeons, not very warm. They just like to cut people. Their job is just to cut you. They just want to cut you open, take some stuff out, move some stuff around, get a check. That's what surgeons do. I found this out. They just want to get paid. So I say to the surgeon, I'm like, look what I can do. And he said, you know, we forgot to tell you that you should start doing physical therapy and making appointments. They thought I was like so bad and going to die. They didn't even want to tell me about doing physical therapy for my arm. So I was kind of mad because I had all this scar tissue, excuse me, had all this scar tissue that had built up in my arm, and that's why it was so excruciating to lift. And in a moment's notice, Jesus just healed it. And so I tell him Jesus healed it, and he said this, hmm, you know, Laurie, that's really interesting because I'm the one who severed that nerve. And I went, oh. Yeah, you see, the the lymph node was wrapped with the nerves so much that I just had to sever them to get to it. Because surgeon just thinks, cut out lymph node, not, let's not sever the nerves in her arm. So he recognized at that moment that God had did something really special because he was the guy who cut the cord, needless to say. He cut the nerves, and he said, wow, this is really interesting. So when I go back to my oncologist, he says to me, Laura, you know what, we're going to take two years to live off the table. I think at this point you're going to make a full and complete healing. I don't understand it, but I think God is really doing something special in your life. And finally, we got the medical community to believe and understand what we knew God was doing. And here's the one thought. If you, here's your one takeaway. If there's one thing I can leave with you, it's this. It's that God will leverage everything in our lives for his glory and our very best if we trust him. My family wants to come to the Lord now. As I've shared my testimony and prayed for people, people have been healed. God has used me to give people prophetic words. God has touched many lives of, of, of individuals because of his glory. God isn't giving me this platform so you can get this great revelation of who I am. You don't need to know who I am. I'm little Miss Nobody. 
God is giving me this testimony to give you the revelation of who God is. He wants you to see who he is through my life and through my husband's life. And so I want to close out with this verse. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed from the inside out. If you've got a believing prayer that you want me to come into agreement with, then I want to pray with you. I'm going to call Pastor Rob. If you would come on up and just close our time, and he'll tell me where to go to stand, I would love and consider it an honor and a privilege to pray with any of you for any need because the glory within me that has healed me, that glory is within you and wants to heal you. Praise God. Thank you so much. God bless.